Good morning. Welcome to Copper Hills. We are so excited that you've all chosen to join us here. And I also want to say welcome to all of you who are watching online. We wish you were here with us, but we're excited that you can join with us virtually. So thank you for being here. We're in a series right now entitled Jesus the Storyteller. And we're looking at the stories that Jesus told. How many of you love stories? Absolutely. I love stories. Out of curiosity, I want you to think about this. Who is either your favorite storyteller or one of your favorite stories of all time? Before you answer that question, like for me, when uh, my kids were little, I used to always read them the C.S. Lewis books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Great books. I love those stories. For myself, I really love J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Amazing stories. So I'm kind of curious. I want to give you about 15 to 25 seconds. You can share with the people sitting next to you. Share the answer to the question, favorite storyteller or favorite stories? Go ahead and share with one another. All right. Thank you guys so much for sharing with one another. There's one other type of story that I want to point out. And I don't know when this exactly came about, but I know it's, it felt like it started during my childhood. In the late 70s, early 80s, there was a type of book that came out called Choose Your Own Adventure. Anybody remember these books? So just a few people in my demographic that remember these books. So they were called Choose Your Own Adventure. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you would read along in the book and then it would pause. It would say, if you want the main character or characters to do this, then turn to this page and continue the story. If you want them to do something different like this, then you can go and turn to this page and so on and so forth. And so I felt like it was so fun for me to be involved in the story as well, that I could kind of choose how I wanted the story to go and I could kind of pick my own adventure, a very cool type of storybook. Well, today, as we're looking at these different stories that Jesus told, I want you to hold on to that thought or idea of a choose-your-own-adventure book. Because at the end of Jesus' story, I'm going to ask you that question of how do you want your story to engage with Jesus' story? How would you like the adventure to continue? And are you willing to kind of engage in this story that Jesus is telling? Well, as we talk again about telling stories and about learning just in general, I was a teacher a few years ago, and I learned that there's four main ways that people learn. We either learn by reading, by kind of hearing or listening, by seeing something visually, or last, by touching and doing, kinesthetic learners. So there's like the reading learners, auditory learners listening, visual learners through seeing, kinesthetic learners through touching and doing. Out of curiosity, I want to know which one of those you fall into. For me, I'm probably primarily a visual learner, second, a a kinesthetic do learner, and like least is reading for me. That's the, the worst way for me to learn. But what about for you guys? Raise your hand if you are more of a learn by reading. That's your number one primary best way to read, okay? How many of you, it's listening by hearing something and listening to it? How many of you are visual? A lot of hands went up for visual, okay? Just copying me, no, just kidding. And then lastly, kinesthetic, kind of touch or do. Okay, a lot in that category as well. Well, good. What I'm gonna try to attempt to do today as we look at this story is try to give away for every single one of you different types of people that learn in different ways a chance to feel like you're getting to learn in the way that's best for you. So we're gonna read this story. You're gonna see it on the screen. You can read it or you can read it in your own Bible or your device that you have. You're gonna hear me 
talk about it and, and talk about it out loud as well. And some of you may want to close your eyes and just listen to it. Maybe that's the best way for you to learn. Others, you're actually going to see some pictures and images that are going to come up on the screen. This was my favorite part of reading books as a little kid is when are we going to get to the pictures? And that's how I love to see the story unfold with the pictures. You're going to see some pictures. And then finally, at the end, you're going to be challenged with this choose your own adventure to decide how are you going to touch and get involved and be active in the story that we're going to tell. Everybody ready to go? Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Luke chapter 16. We're gonna be reading the story that's found in verses 19 through 31. And this story comes right on the heels of the story that we heard last week where Pastor Brad told us the story or the parable of the shrewd manager. And so for those of you who weren't here, just the context of this story is Jesus is is telling these stories in the midst of kind of a mixed audience. His audience at that point, we know his disciples were listening. He tells us they were there. And we also hear that another group of people that weren't his followers or disciples, disciples were listening. Those were people like tax collectors, the Pharisees, sinners, and just random people wanting to hear what this guy was saying and what it was all about. So that's kind of the audience. So have that in your mind. It's a mixed audience. Some people that follow him, love him, like him, and a group of people that either don't like him or are just kind of curious to hear what this guy has to say. So as we start the story, I'm going to start reading in verse 19 again. For those of you, if it's best for you to learn, feel free to close your eyes because as Jesus tells the story, he gives a lot of vivid descriptions. And maybe you want to paint the picture yourself instead of letting somebody else paint it. But here we go. Verse 19. Jesus starts off and he says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So there we have the first part of the story. For those of you who like to see it, I've picked a couple of ancient paintings or drawings depicting this story. So right here in the circle, the person that made this drawing was trying to tell the story of what we're going to be reading. And in the middle is his picture of that rich man. So let's go back into the scripture and look at a couple of key, there's a couple of key phrases in there for when Jesus's audience would have heard these phrases, they would have come to some conclusions about what Jesus is going to be telling them. First of all, it says that it was a rich guy. Well, how rich is this guy? That's why he says he was dressed in purple and fine linen. You see, back in Jesus's day, almost nobody would have wore purple. I know we have like some Phoenix Suns fans right here in the front with their purple jerseys on, which is great. Purple's more common in our city than it is other places. But back then, almost nobody had purple. Why? Because it was very rare to find the color purple and to make a dye to color things clothing purple. In fact, what I learned was it would take these certain types of sea snails and they would use those snails to get a purple dye. The scholars estimate that to make one ounce of purple dye, you would have to use over 200,000 sea snails. Yeah, I don't know who counted that. I don't know who was picking out all those sea snails, say that really fast a lot of times, but that would have been a difficult job. But the point Jesus is trying to make is that this guy was off the charts rich. He was uber rich. In fact, usually it was just royalty that had purple. So a lot of times in Jesus' story, he exaggerates or uses hyperbole to make a point that he wants us to learn. So the first thing that his hearers would have heard is here's this rich guy. He's super rich and he's living a life of luxury. So one of the first things that would have gone through their mind is this guy must be blessed by God because God takes care of people that have amazing things and amazing life. So in the Jewish culture, they made this assumption that if someone was doing really well here on earth in this world in which we live in, then God must have blessed them for them to get to that point. So that's how the story unfolds. Let's look at the next verse, verse 20. 
at this rich guy's gate, it's interesting, he lived like in a gated community, I guess. There was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table that even the dogs came and licked his sores. Pretty descriptive. Here's again what it might've looked like in that same picture. You can see this guy Lazarus over here in the corner, kind of gaunt, looking malnourished, a dog there at his feet. And he's kind of begging that rich man, let me have something from your table, I'm hungry. Again, let's go back to the, the scripture about this story. This beggar, this is an interesting thing. In all of the parables that Jesus teaches in the gospels, this is the only parable where somebody gets a name that's a character. Every other parable, Jesus says, a father, a son, a young man, an old man, a person. He never gives them a name. I thought that was very interesting. Why is it that in this one particular parable, we actually get the name of someone? And Brad and Butch and I were talking this week about that. And we discovered that the name Lazarus in the Bible means God helps or God will provide help. So that might be a clue about something that Jesus is wanting us to learn in this story. Why would he name this guy that unless it was for a specific reason? But in this story, we see that this guy Lazarus was the exact opposite of the rich man we saw in the verse before. Rich man lived in luxury. This guy, this beggar, he lives in abject poverty, right? He has nothing to eat. He's begging, he's on his last leg physically. And not only that, but this idea of the dogs coming in and licking his sores would portray to the Jewish people that he was, he was unclean. He was living an unclean life. And so for Jesus's audience, they would have heard the exact opposite with Lazarus. This guy must be cursed by God. He must've done something really bad or his parents, but he is living a cursed life. But they would have been curious then if that's the case, this guy lives a cursed life and he's kind of away from God, then why in the world is he named Lazarus? They were wondering if that, is that a joke or is that being funny or is that ironic? Why would you call him helped by God? Because clearly it doesn't look like he's being helped by God in this story that you're telling. So let's continue on. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar, again, that's Lazarus, died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. What does that look like? We see that in the top of this drawing. We see the angels carrying, this time they're portraying a Lazarus as like as a baby. And then now you see him over on the right there sitting or reclining next to Abraham, Father Abraham. And again, this is the second time that we see the name of someone. And so this character is the Abraham from the Old Testament. This is the father of the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And so it would have been ironic to them and they would have been confused here. Why is it that this man that was cursed by God, that was unclean, this Lazarus, this beggar, why in the world did he get carried by angels all the way to Abraham's side? You see the Jewish tradition of heaven that like we think of it would have been living in the presence of Abraham, right at Abraham's side. And, and Abraham would spread out this amazing table full of food and drinks and refreshments. And you would now be living in heavenly luxury. So they would have been confused. Why is this cursed, unclean guy living in a place that probably should be where the rich man is? So where is the rich man? Let's, let's get to that part of the story. So let's look at that next. Into verse 22, continuing in 23. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Again, check out the picture. 
So over here on the far right, you see the rich man's now moved over here. He's reaching up to Father Abraham and to Lazarus. He's got his hand to his mouth, like, please just give me something to drink, cool me down. You see the flames kind of below him there. That's what the picture would have looked like. So again, as we go back to the scripture, we see some very unique differences between the condition in the afterlife of the rich man versus the beggar compared to their condition during this life. Maybe that's something we need to think about here. So we see that the rich man, he didn't get carried to the, by the angels. He was actually buried. And the place we expected him to be Abraham's side, he's not. He's actually in the place they expected Lazarus to be, a place of torment, a place of frustration, a place of separation, of agony, it describes. And so at this point in the story, Jesus's audience would have been like, I don't really understand. This story is not making sense. This is not the way we think about what we've always heard or what we've always been taught or our condition of the heaven, kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of earth. And I think in a lot of these stories, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to tell us these stories so that we can have a new way of thinking or a fresh way of looking at the world around us, or maybe even observing ourselves in the way that we fit into this world that he's created. So let's see what happens next in Jesus' story. We're going to go to verse 25. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Look at a different depiction of this story. This is another person who kind of tried to help us understand this story that Jesus told. And you can see the rich man below separated from Father Abraham and Lazarus wanting to kind of pass through, but they can't get across this chasm. So in this part of the story, I think this is where Jesus makes it crystal clear that there is a difference between the condition of the kingdom of earth versus the kingdom of heaven. That's the point of the story I'm wanting you to figure out, that you've made some assumptions about this life that you live in. And you assume that if you get a bunch of good things in this life, that you're going to get good things in the next life. You believe the same thing. If somebody has a raw deal or bad situation or bad circumstances or conditions, they're probably gonna have that for the rest of all eternity. And Jesus is saying, maybe that's not the case. Maybe what you thought the way this whole system works isn't what you thought. And not only that, is there something that we can do about this? Do we have a role to play in this or is this just the way it is? So let's continue on and see. In verse 27, he answered, and this is the rich man, then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And so here's a picture of Moses and one of the main prophets, Isaiah. This is Moses on that side and Isaiah on this side. And at this point, when he mentions this, Abraham mentions this to the audience. The audience would have thought, okay, now I see what you're saying. You're reminding us to our past. You're reminding us to our heroes, our leaders of the past and what they said to us and what they taught us, how we're supposed to treat people in this particular situation. In fact, they might've been reminded of some of these scriptures. I wanna to read to you Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. This is Moses writing and he says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor, and are unable to support themselves among you, then help them as you would a foreigner or a stranger so they can continue to live among you. 
You see, Moses made it clear that there were ways in which we were supposed to treat people that were living in very difficult situations in this present life. We weren't to ignore them. We weren't to just let them figure it out on their own. We were to get involved, to get engaged and to be a part of helping them. What about Isaiah? If you look at Isaiah chapter 58, verse seven, notice how similar what Isaiah writes is compared to what Jesus tells in this story. Isaiah says this, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? It's almost as if Jesus is referencing that exact verse. That's the picture that we've been watching and that we've been looking about. And we can see that he's saying, this other guy is one of your own. He's a member of your own tribe, your own people group. And yet for whatever reason, you've ignored him. Maybe you haven't noticed him or maybe you've looked right at him and you've just gone on your separate way. But the bottom line is his name is God will help. And maybe I want you to get involved in that process of helping him and How are you doing in regards to that? Well, how does the story end? In verse 30, he says this. The rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, even if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. At this point in the story, we kind of know exactly what he's talking about. You see, we live on the other side of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. We know that Jesus rose from the dead and he preached a message. He he did this exact same thing. And we know that there's a whole lot of people that didn't even believe in Jesus even after he rose from the dead. But this is what I found very interesting. This is probably in all the gospels, the very first time that Jesus even hints or foreshadows that he's gonna rise from the dead. So at this point, his audience would have been like, what are you talking about? They were assuming that it was this Lazarus coming back from the dead that would help them. And Jesus is foreshadowing himself. I can only imagine a few years later when Jesus actually rose from the dead, his disciples and other people going, oh my gosh, I had no idea that's what he was talking about. He actually did what he was talking about in that story of the rich man and Lazarus. He did come back from the dead and yet we're still not believing in him. We're still not listening. We're still not paying attention. And so in this entire story, we have to ask ourselves this question. How do we want to get involved in this story? Is it something just to listen to that's kind of interesting and exciting and descriptive? Or is there some role for us to play? This entire year at at Copper Hills, our theme that we've been talking about and trying to remind ourselves of over and over again is this idea of taking notice and taking interest of others. That there's people that we live around that we are just kind of not seeing. We're not noticing Just like in this story, the rich man, for whatever reason, wasn't seeing Lazarus, this beggar. He wasn't acknowledging him. He wasn't getting involved in his life in any way. And we have to ask ourselves our question, are we gonna take notice and are we gonna take interest of people around us? And in fact, as I was doing a little bit more study on this this story, I heard about another man who listened to the story a while ago and it kind of changed his life a little bit. Let me tell you his story. This guy was born in 1875. And he was born right on the border between Germany and France in a little territory known as Alsace. He was raised in a God-fearing Christian home. He was raised the same way that many of us have been raised, to love God, to love people, to treat humanity in, in a kind, loving, caring way. And throughout his life, he realized he had tons of opportunities. He went to colleges, he went to universities, he got many degrees. 
He was wealthy. He was living a really, really good life. And then he heard this exact story that we read today. He heard the story of the rich man and Lazarus and it caught him by surprise. It hit him in the face and a wave of emotion and idea came to him. And he said, what am I gonna do about this? I don't think I can continue to live my life the way I've lived. In fact, I need to do something about this. Here's what he said. I want you to listen to this quote. It's a pretty long quote, but I want you to understand the heart of this guy and how much this one parable that we're reading today affected him in a profound way. He said this, our culture divides people into two classes, civilized men, a title bestowed on the persons who do the classifying and others who have only the human form who may perish or go to the dogs for all the civilized men care. Oh, this noble culture of ours. It speaks so piously of human dignity and human rights and then disregards this dignity and these rights of countless millions and treads them underfoot only because they live overseas or because their skins are of different color or because they cannot help themselves. This culture does not know how hollow and miserable and full of glib talk it is. How common it looks to those who follow it across the seas and see what it has done there. And this culture has no right to speak of personal dignity and human rights. And all of this oppression and all of this sin and shame are perpetrated under the eye of the German God or the American God or the British God. And if our states do not feel obligated first to lay aside their claim to be Christian, then the name of Jesus is blasphemed and made a mockery. And the Christianity of our states is blasphemed and made a mockery before those poor people. The name of Jesus has become a curse and our Christianity, yours and mine, has become a falsehood and a disgrace if the crimes are not atoned for in the very place where they were instigated. For every person who committed an atrocity in Jesus' name, someone must step in to help in Jesus' name. For every person who robbed, someone must bring a replacement. For everyone who cursed, someone must bless. And now, when you speak about missions, let this be your message. We must make atonement for all the terrible crimes we read of in the newspapers. We must make atonement for the still worse ones, which we do not read about in the papers, crimes that are shrouded in the silence of the jungle night. See, the man who wrote this was a guy named Albert Schweitzer. How many of you have heard of Albert Schweitzer? Not very many of us. I've heard of his name, but I'll be honest, I really didn't know much of his story. You see, when Albert Schweitzer heard this parable, the very same parable that we're reading today, it rocked his world. And he made a decision. He grabbed his wife and his family at age 43. And he said, we're moving to Africa. And we are gonna spend the rest of our lives trying to atone for what has been happening over at Africa in his lifetime. You see, he felt very much like that rich man living in Europe, living in luxury, having everything he needed. He was afforded education. He was afforded culture. He was one of the greatest organists or pianists in his day. He had resources unlimited. And he said, there's these people living on this other side of my gate on another continent that have been abused, that have been taken advantage of. This is when slavery was coming a really big deal. And he said, I'm not just gonna sit back and ignore these people that are on my virtual gate on the other side of my planet. I'm gonna go do something about it. And for the next 47 years of his life, he continued to live in Africa and dedicated his life to helping people there. In 1952, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And what comes with that is a stipend of money. He won $30,000 that went with it. 
And he took that $30,000 and he created a leper colony and a hospital to specifically help people in Africa that were struggling with leprosy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it so cool to know that these stories that Jesus told can affect humanity, can affect our lives. It's so encouraging to see someone from our immediate past who changed the trajectory of his life after listening to Jesus's words. Now I know what some of you are thinking, Paul, are you trying to tell me that I need to uproot my family and go to Africa? I don't know. I'm not telling you that. That's what Albert Schweitzer did. That's what he felt like the Holy Spirit was asking him to do, to take notice and take interest of a group of people that he felt like had been taken advantage of and had been neglected. Instead, I'm asking you, what do you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you? How do you wanna choose your adventure in the story? Now that you've heard this same story, how do you wanna get involved? I had to ask myself that same question. About 10 years ago, I realized that I had spent kind of most of my life living like that rich man, living in suburban Peoria, living a good life, um, having things at my disposal, not having to worry about too many things and really not noticing and not seeing and not taking interest of people in my own city that weren't afforded those same opportunities. And so me and a group of people started going to downtown Phoenix like once a month. And we would go on Sundays and we would just go down there and we would get to meet people. We would love people. We would spend time with them. And about eight years ago, there was a particular Sunday where we went just after Christmas. And um, I noticed this guy And I later learned his name. His name was Michael. He was a teenager at the time, probably 18 or 19. He was dressed terribly. You could tell he was really struggling. Had been living on the streets. He had a backpack. That's all he owned. And I had a decision to make that day. Was I going to take notice and take interest in this guy? Or was I just going to kind of ignore him and not see him like the rich man in this story? Well, thankfully that day, the Holy Spirit led me to get to know him. I heard his story a little bit and tried to see if he would want some help. If there's something that I could do or our community could do to help him. And he was really struggling. He was, had some addiction problems, didn't have any family. He was very prideful about his situation. And so we said, here's the deal. I'm gonna give you my phone number. I'm gonna buy you a bus pass and I'm gonna send you to this place. You can kind of do some detoxing and get your life together. And if you want some help, I encourage you to call me and I'll be committed to trying to help you in any way I can. Got him a bus pass, sent him away. And quite honestly, I thought I would never see him again. That happens a lot of times when I was helping people in that condition. They would say they want help, but then we'd never hear from them or see them again. But sure enough, three days later, I got a phone call from him. He he called my number from this detox center. They said, he's gone through the program and now we're ready to release him, but he has nowhere to go. He'd just be released right back onto the streets. And so over the phone, I talked to him and said, how would you like to get into like a Christian center where you can live for anywhere from six months to a year where they can pour into you and help you? And he said, I think I'm ready for that in my life. And so I called this Christian center called Teen Challenge and they said, we can take him the next day. The day he called me was December 31st. It was New Year's Eve. And they said they could take him on January 1st, but he, had, he was being released from this other facility. And again, I was left with the dilemma. What do I do? You see, I already had plans on New Year's Eve to spend time with my wife, my children. We had friends coming over. We were gonna celebrate like many of us celebrate on New Year's Eve. But I just went to my wife and children and said, you know what guys, I feel compelled that I need to spend New Year's Eve with Michael instead of you guys. I've spent every other New Year's Eve with you guys. Would it be okay with you guys if this New Year's Eve, I just spend time with him? They said, absolutely. If that's what the Holy Spirit's telling you, do it. So I went down and picked up Michael and we spent the rest of New Year's Eve together. And I just tried to treat him like a regular human being. I said, what would you like to do that you haven't been able to do? And he almost like couldn't even think about what to do. Like maybe go shopping, maybe see a movie, maybe go out to a restaurant. Like let's do all of that. So long story short, I took him to a Walmart 
And I said, go in that back section and grab yourself, you know, some pants, some socks, underwear, a couple of pairs of shirts, some new shoes, whatever you need, go ahead and grab it. We'll take care of that. He grabbed all that. We went and checked out. We paid. And as we were walking out of Walmart, I could tell something was just weird about him. That The experience was not what I expected. He would kind of behave and react. And I said, what's going on? Are you having a trouble with this? Is this bothering you? He goes, no, it's not that. It's just, <laughs> this is so weird, Paul. He said, for the last five years, every time I go to Walmart, I never go through that checkout. I never pay and check out. I just steal stuff and sneak out some other way. It's the first time in five years we've actually, I've actually gone through the checkout line wow, that just kind of hit me. The reality of this life that he had been living on the streets for a few years. I then said, what would you like to eat? He's like, I just would love a hamburger and fries. I'm like, that's my kind of guy. Hey, let's go to Five Guys. It's right around the corner. If you ever been to Five Guys, you know that you can buy as many burgers as you want, but then all the fixings are free. He had this hamburger that was piled like this. I'm not even lying. Like, I don't know how this guy ate this whole thing. It was obvious he hadn't had a good meal in a while, but he devoured that hamburger. He loved it. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I just like watched him. And then after that, I said, let's go to a movie. And we went to a movie theater with the ones with the reclining chairs. You know, it was such a cool experience. And that was how I spent my New Year's Eve. Took him back to a hotel room, put him up in a hotel room that night. And then the next day, we sent him to this Christian facility called Teen Challenge. And again, I never knew if I would hear from him or see him again. And about a month and a half later, I got a phone call from him. And he said, Paul, I just want to say thank you. I'm on the right track, man. I understand the story of Jesus now and it's changed my life. And I wanna do all I can to continue to live in this story. And I said, that is great. And again, I've never heard from him ever since then. I've never seen him. I don't know if I ever will, but that's not the point. The point is I chose to get involved in the story that day. I don't always do that. There's many days when I fail to take notice and take interest in the people that God puts in front of me each and every day. But that day I chose to enjoy this adventure that God is calling us to. And today I'm gonna ask you, how do you wanna get involved in this adventure? This story is a real story that Jesus told and it's affected people's lives for thousands and thousands of years. And we have a choice today. We can just kind of go cool story, great illustration. Yeah, that's awesome. And really do nothing. Or we can have this opportunity to get engaged in this story. And I'm not gonna tell you what to do because it's gonna be different for each and every one of us. For some of you, maybe you're gonna wanna get involved in the things that we're doing here. You maybe wanna go on a, a mission trip to the Navajo reservation or to Mexico or to Ukraine or the different opportunities that we have. Some of you are maybe just gonna wanna engage right here in our own community. And you're gonna wanna help and love and serve people that live right around you. But the bottom line is Jesus is asking you and he's asking me, to join this adventure, to take notice and take interest with others. Come and join me in the adventure. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, I thank you so much for the story that Jesus told. The story that was told thousands of years ago, but yet has had an impact on our world even to this day. God, I thank you for people like Albert Schweitzer who've responded to the story and joined in this adventure. And I'm so inspired by what he did with his life. And I know he's not alone. There's many, many other people who've gotten engaged in this story. And today, God, I pray that you would just be giving ideas and thoughts and promptings to each and every one of us. If we is, as we have now heard this story and we've listened to it, we have to ask ourselves, how are we gonna choose to engage in this story? Are we just gonna listen to it and be done with it? Or are we gonna choose an adventure that you have before us? God, I pray that you would give us boldness. You would give us courage to get involved in whatever area we feel like your Holy Spirit is prompting us to get involved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.